You know, even though I, I've been a, a priest for a while and a Catholic for even longer, whenever it comes to the season of Advent, I, I have to admit I have trouble thinking about what to talk about. And so, even though it's kind of embarrassing, every year when it comes to this particular season, um, I have to look it up, actually, to, to remind myself exactly what is the spirit of Advent. And to be honest, I, I kind of blame it on the color purple. Because purple, as you know, is the color for the season of Lent. And so it gives the impression that Advent has the same spirituality as a season of Lent, which is kind of misleading, right? So Lent, as you know, is a strictly penitential season, like prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And even though Advent certainly has a penitential aspect to it, that doesn't quite capture the spirit of Advent. And so I think we all know, for example, that Advent means coming, right? So obviously we're called to prepare for the coming of Christ. Whether we're talking about the first coming at Christmas or the second coming when Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. But at the same time, that's not very specific. It's not very concrete. It's not as concrete, for example, as prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And so given all that, I thought perhaps a more helpful kind of working image would be to focus not so much on penance, not so much on preparation even, but to focus rather on receptivity. What can I do? And perhaps even on top of that, what can I not do to become more receptive to God's grace? to be more attentive to what God is actually doing in my life, to thereby become more informed as to who he actually wants me to be. And funny enough, one of the more helpful biblical readings in this regard is Paul's letter to the Romans, specifically chapter 13, where he talks about three specific things we might do to become more receptive to God's grace and more receptive to his presence. So the first thing St. Paul says in this particular chapter of this letter is to stay awake. To first of all, be awake, but then on top of that, to stay awake, which is basically an exhortation to avoid distractions in our lives. And so the analogy that comes to mind is this image of trying to work after you've had a heavy lunch, right? So imagine you're at work, right, and you've had a heavy lunch, so big meal, lots of carbs, whatever, and now you're trying to work. The last thing you want to do is, is work, right? And the first thing you want to do in a certain sense is fall asleep. And of course, the same principle applies when it comes to the spiritual life. And so in a certain sense, the question to kind of ask ourselves is, what's weighing me down? Like, what am I doing or what choices am I making in the context of this life, which are kind of leaving me less alert, less awake and, and less attentive and receptive, if you will, to the things of God? And so to use a really easy example, perhaps you might make this resolution during the season of Advent to cut down on your excessive use of social media or to avoid binge watching on streaming channels. And then maybe on top of that, you make a really firm resolution in your heart to fast in a certain sense from negativity, whether we're talking about negative thoughts or even negative actions. So maybe you make a point of trying to avoid overindulging in such things as anger, sadness, um, self-pity, malicious gossip, that kind of thing. Now, I realize that when you hear a long list of, of things like this, things you might do or things you might avoid to become less distracted and more recollected in the context of your life, it can seem kind of overwhelming. But this is where it's important to kind of focus on, on the fruit or, or the goal of the thing. Because the way I like to think of it is that the human mind and the human heart, they just kind of naturally go to where they want to go if simply given the chance, right? And so if you make it a point, again, to remove unnecessary distractions from your life, it's amazing how your heart and your mind just naturally go to a place of peace and recollection and, and serenity, right? And the idea is that when you experience these things, when you experience the fruit of your labors, the task becomes easy, the burden becomes light. Okay, so that's kind of the first thing. Again, this exhortation to stay awake and to basically avoid distractions. But on top of that, St. Paul says that we're called to throw off the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. 
And basically the whole idea here is to try to live with integrity, to kind of bridge that gap, if you will, between who we are and who we betray ourselves to be in the eyes of the world. Now, just to be clear, we're, we're not talking about self-disclosing our deepest, darkest secrets to the world at large, right? So we're not talking about that. But instead, it's all about reallocating our, our time and our energy to reallocate these things to focus on becoming the persons that God is calling us to be as opposed to trying to convince the world that we're something that we're not. And so the example that comes to mind is from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, where the Lord very simply says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And obviously, this is a really short statement, but if you read between the lines, what the Lord seems to be saying to us here is that when it comes to conversations, when it comes to relationships, whenever you speak, people should just be able to presume that you mean what you say and that you're saying what you mean. In other words, people should just be able to presume that you're living with integrity, that you're trying to the best of your ability to make sure there's no gap between who you are and how you portray yourself to the world. Okay, but that brings us to the final thing that St. Paul recommends in this particular chapter of this letter. So basically what he says is, you must put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Now, as a matter of background, whenever we hear the word flesh in the Bible, it refers to the human condition in its weakened state, right? And so the whole idea here is that in the aftermath of original sin, the human person is inclined to reach not so much for God, but rather the false substitutes for the reality of God wealth, pleasure, power, and honor. So again, that's what flesh means whenever you see it in the context of the Bible. And so given all that, again, when St. Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, what he's saying in a certain sense is don't live an illusion. Don't daydream, if you will. Now, obviously, when we're talking about not living in illusions or, or not daydreaming, we're obviously not saying that it's a bad thing or a sinful thing to use our imaginations or to aspire to great things or to aspire to, to become great. That's not the point. But instead, the whole idea is that when the going gets tough, you got to actively choose to resist the temptation to run from your ordinary life because it's painful or messy or complicated in favor of some idealized life, which is otherwise known as not your life. And so to illustrate the point, let's say you're married and you're with your spouse and you're having a moment of tension and conflict with your spouse. You got to actively choose in that moment of tension and conflict to resist the temptation to ask yourself the question, what if? Like, what if I wasn't married? What if I was with someone else? Maybe that really attractive and interesting person at work. You got to really be firm and not ask yourself that question. Because you got to realize, you got to trust and believe, basically, that God is present only in reality. God is the God of reality as opposed to the God of your imagination, as opposed to the God of fiction. And His grace, His transformative grace, which will help you in difficult circumstances, is only present in real life. Even though that life might be messy and confusing and painful at times. Okay, one final example, and I'll kind of end with this. And so back in the day when I was still at St. Augustine Seminary, starting to be a priest in Scarborough, Ontario, I was in charge of, of two committees. One was the movie committee, so no huge shock there. But the second one was the social committee. And it just so happens that one year we organized this social that we called the Art House Social. So basically the whole idea here is that we would solicit um, different seminarians in the building to lend us their religious articles, right? So um, statues, pictures, whatever. And we would put these things on display for a temporary time. And it just so happens that one of our major contributors was a seminarian who was a brilliant artist and an amazing photographer. And one of the photos he took was of our adoration chapel, right? So obviously in the seminary, we had this chapel where everyone would go to pray multiple times per day, day after day, week after week, uh, year after year, right? So people were intimately familiar with this chapel. 
But then what's funny is that, you know, no word of a lie, a lot of people passed by this amazing photo of this chapel. And they asked this friend of mine who was an artist, um, where is that chapel? I mean, it's so beautiful, right? Like they didn't recognize that it was actually our chapel where we spent our time day after day. And obviously, it's a funny example, but it speaks to the fact that so often we're surrounded by, by the wonder of God's grace, but we just don't notice because we're caught up in the narrow space of the ego and everything that implies. Sadness, confusion, feeling lost, feeling alone, which really emphasizes, of course, the great importance of doing those things that St. Paul is talking about in his letter to the Romans. Again, whether we're talking about avoiding distractions, living with integrity, or keeping our feet firmly on the ground in the world of reality as opposed to the world of our imagination. And again, even though it might feel kind of overwhelming to hear all these things at once, once you start experiencing the fruits of being fully receptive to the Lord and His grace, it'll help you persevere along the right path. Because you'll basically be amazed at how much you are absolutely surrounded by God's beauty and His grace and His love. And may God bless you all.